This is episode number 133 of Patrick Jones Baseball, and on this episode we have Kevin Hollaball. Kevin is the owner of ProForce. ProForce is a sports and conditioning facility um, in the Cincinnati, Ohio area, and Kevin talks a, a lot about you know his background in this episode, but also gets pretty detailed into um, what he's looking for when he is assessing his athletes, how he programs um, each of his athletes, how he deals with pitchers. Um, you know, obviously arm injuries are up at an all-time high. It seems like I say that all the time, but um, we kind of get into you know why that is, and you know how he tries to combat that issue with his players. So hope you guys enjoy this episode. If you haven't already, make sure to head on over to iTunes and rate and leave a review. And um, again, appreciate it. So without further ado, here is Kevin Hollaball. All right, and we are now live with Kevin Hollabaugh, who is the owner of ProForce. Now, did I get your name right there? Yeah, yeah, uh, you okay. got it. Do, yeah. a lot of people, do a lot of people mess that up? Yeah, I remember going through school, and it's like you have a substitute teacher, and you're just, Kevin, Kevin? Oh, yeah, that's me. I'm over here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. So um, you're the owner of ProForce um, in Cincinnati, and um, kind of take me through a little bit of your background, and then maybe give uh, give the listeners a little bit of something that you like to do or have an interest in outside of strength and conditioning as well. Yeah, so this is actually my 12th year as a strength and conditioning coach. Um Started out as an athletic trainer coming up through college and school. Uh, decided about my junior year of college, I wanted to invest more time in the weight room. Um, made a switch to kind of the extra science side. Uh, and then kind of realized right away, like, my knowledge in athletic trainer kind of put me ahead of the game um, on the strength and conditioning side. Because the amount of anatomy that you know, uh, the special testing that you know, and how to kind of use that knowledge. And I really, really enjoy... Um, and one of the reasons I wanted to make the switch is how do we take somebody from the training table to back to return the sport? Mm-hmm. Um, and not only that, but keeping people out of the training room. Like I right. never want anybody to be hurt. Um, so that's why I kind of switched my majors, uh, did some work down at UC, uh, went down to university of South Florida, worked with pretty much every team down there, uh, minus soccer and track and field. Um, and that was a great experience. Uh, then kind of bounced around in the private sector a little bit. Uh, worked for two small businesses here locally in Cincinnati. Uh, moved out to Indianapolis, Indiana, where I opened, um, helped open up a uh, sports performance facility for Indiana University Health Systems, uh, which was a great experience. Um, and then moved on to St. Vincent Sports Performance, where I got to work hand in hand with the at the time the USA Baseball physical therapist. Um, so I got to do some kind of off off-hand work with Team USA uh, in that regards through Jamie up there. Uh, and that was a great learning experience. Uh, and a lot of what we do today ties back to a lot of the work that I did at St. Vincent and kind of tying together everything holistically and making everything as medically integrated as we can. Um, so, and I, I would say that's kind of our bread and butter now is how do we look at something from a holistic standpoint, meaning not just the strength side, but also the speed side, also from an arm care injury prevention standpoint, and use all that, uh, even conditioning, and use all that to kind of make the athlete better versus looking at it as one one peg. So, And then what do you got for uh, um, hobbies or interests, just one outside of uh, wow. strength and conditioning? 
Um, well, right now I have a two-year-old and a five-year-old at home, so okay. that's pretty much my interest. Okay. Um, trying to make it home in time to make sure we hit bath time and put them to bed um, and at least spend some quality time with them as much as I can outside of owning a business. That's that's probably it. I'd, I'd love to. Uh, I used to be an avid beach volleyball player um, before mm. uh, the kids were born. I uh, played a ton of sand, um, played in an AVP next qualifying tournament doubles, um, and uh, that's kind of my hidden thing that once the kids are old enough, I might take that back up. But once my playing days in baseball were over with, I, I kind of went into the sand, and I, I really enjoyed doing that. Now, did you travel at all for that? Um, no. When I lived in Tampa, there was like an AVP open tournament, and uh, me and one of my friends down there just kind of, okay, we'll just sign up and see what happens. Um, we got absolutely crushed. But, I mean, it was a fun experience. Uh, and uh, I, I really enjoyed uh, when I lived in Cincinnati. There's a lot of local places that have good sand volleyball, and I, I miss going and playing that. But um, I'd rather spend time with the boys at this point. So Yeah, there's not a whole lot probably money in sand volleyball. No, no, no. <laughs> it, it's a little better in strength and conditioning, but not by much. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and that's uh, – kind of um, bridging the gap there of going into talking about strength and conditioning it but i, I it's better um i think it, it's gonna even be more people are gonna realize is how it's gonna be more and more important in the future but it's definitely got it's opened a lot of eyes because you, you do really see and uh, the benefits of the players who not only do work out consistently but also it decreases their injuries too oh absolutely um i tell people all the time like when I was coming up through high school, and I'm, what, 33 years old, uh, we were told not to lift because we were going to get too tight, right? You don't want to be tight as a baseball player. Uh, and you look back at it, and you're like, well, the guys that were hitting bombs were playing football and lifting. Um, so you could kind of correlate that looking back on it uh, where I was just a nice singles, maybe gap hitter yeah. at best. I mean, look, look – steroids happen for a reason right peds like there's drug testing for a reason i mean i I don't know what else to say absolutely i mean anybody's gonna need um any kind of leg up they can because everybody has a different kind of genetic set point um and that's one of the hard parts for me uh when you're meeting with parents talking with parents because they they have these expectations of their children a lot of times um hey can my kid get drafted hey i want my son or i want my son to throw 90 um, but at the end of the day, like there's, there's a genetic limitation here. I can only go so far, um, which legally, yeah, legally. Yeah. At, at legally, <laughs> if you want to take that next step, that's on you. Yeah. We don't have any dark alleys around here where we're, uh, providing those in- enhancements. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's only so much that can be done. Um, and I think that's where gathering as much data as possible can help take that kid as far as they possibly can because I used to be a very slow non-athletic uh white boy Mm -hmm. and I mean I can I can at age 33 I can still jump 32 inches so training has taken me a long way that's pretty good it it kind of changed my outcome athletically can you dunk um I have tiny hands so I I have a great finger roll okay all right I'll say 30 that's pretty 33 inches that's that's not bad no, not for three. My, my life goal at this point is to out jump my age, which it's been hard to do it at, th- at 33. So, yeah. um, I age 34. I don't know if it's going to happen anymore. Yeah. It might be downhill from here. <laughs> um, what, what would you say, um, just maybe on social media or just you talking to other people in the strength conditioning world, what's something that's like overrated right now in the strength conditioning world, some sort of training, 
um, BOSU bowl exercise. I have no idea. I'm just throwing out, just giving you kind of things to, to think of. What would you say is kind of you see too much and it's overrated? Just tech in general. Okay. Um, I, I'm only 33, but I'm very old school in the weight room. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like right now it's whoever can have the, the gadget, the hot gadget, the hot tech, um, that tends to be kind of, it's eye popping. Uh, so I was told a long time ago, like you either have the steak or the sizzle, right? From a uh, facility standpoint, like I'm only going to go to a restaurant if the steak's good every single time I go, I could care less what the sizzle factor looks like. It, mm-hmm. it goes back to like, when you're out of town, you try to find that like hole in the wall restaurant with the great food, right? Right. Um, I want to be the hole in the wall place that, uh, yeah, we look nice aesthetically, um, but we have really good product and our steak is really good. So I think too many things with strength conditioning nowadays are how complex can I make it um, and how much can I make it look sizzly or fancy with tech. When at the end of the day, I just need to track your numbers. Um, we do track bar, bar speed velocity, um, and that's our only really tech thing that we're going to do in here. Um, is we use bar speed velocities to correlate to our specific adaptations that we're trying to train. Um, but outside of that, like we're keeping it simple, stupid. And I can't tell you how many times I have to remind the kids in here, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Uh, we take pride in kind of that long-term athlete development model. Um, so like, uh, super proud of this past year, Zade Richardson, who started with us in eighth grade was just drafted by the Cardinals. He's been a client the entire time. He'll come back this offseason. Like, that's stuff that I take pride in and watching him develop over time. And I want to see that more often with more of our kids where they come in as eighth graders. We don't know where they're going to go. Uh, we're just training them all with good quality training with great steak. Um, and then they keep coming back. They keep having that good steak, right? And then eventually um, they kind of morph into this athlete that can go somewhere. What, what type of tech, I guess, I'm trying to think of, like, in the weight room do you see? Because that's not really my area. Um, like the VBT testing? There's a lot of different VBT units out there. Okay. Um, I know a lot of it right now is centered around, like, uh, there's a lot of tech coming out that's different timing apparatuses or jump apparatuses as far as, like, trying to get ground contact time, how high can you jump, um, which is great, and it's a measurement, but you, I think, Far too often, people need to take a step back and say, why am I measuring this? Mm-hmm. Um, just like before we started this, you were just asking about grip strength, and it, it's something that I just started measuring to try to get a correlation because we think it's going to correlate somewhere down the road. Um, and I can't give you any quantitative data on that, but it, at this point, it's it's kind of like, well, let's see where it goes. But I'm collecting it for a purpose. I think far too often it's um, – hey, I bought this fancy jump tester. All my kids are going to jump on it. Great, you're doing reactive strength index with your athletes, but are you using it? Like, how is the reactive strength index changing your model for training? Right. Or there's a lot of people that will use, like, uh, uh, like one of the hot ones right now that's kind of uh, is like a, a modus sleeve or modus apparatus, right? Well, what's that data telling you? Like, you're just telling a kid, like, okay, they have more stress on their UCL. Like, are, are you going to fix it? Like, how are you right. going to fix it? Um, do you know how to integrate that tech to a point where um, you're not just knowing it, you're understanding it. 
And I think that's with anything like, cool, you know that, but do you actually understand it? Like, I think that's a line that a lot of people don't understand. How it's to very work. tough to, to do that. Yeah. It's very tough to not only understand it, but explain it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the, really the hard part of, it, of all the tech. Um, Absolutely. And I know you use a lot of tech. Yeah. So it's one of those things. It's like when it, it would be hard to clone yourself, mm-hmm. right? Because um, you're so far down the tech rabbit hole. But you understand the tech, and you can actually use the technology to make a kid better. That tells me that you're using the technology. Right. Uh, versus just, I just need this tech piece to sell a client. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I think is far is is kind of what I'm seeing more happening. What what's the um, uh, I know you were talking about the Moda sleeve there, but what is the I know they do some sort of physical assessment with Modus. Are there some sort of sensors that they use? I think there's a multi-sensor system that, or there's a sensor that you move around maybe that yeah, does like an assessment. Like I guess my only issue with that is, is like, I don't, I don't think it tells you like, is it a mobility or a stability problem? You know what I mean? They're I just mean, numbers. I yeah, think. that's what I mean. Like yeah. it doesn't really tell you. Yeah. And, and that, we're not bashing Modus by any means, no, uh, no. but um, I, I think it's great that people can get numbers, especially if they're untrained in it. So, I mean, like. For me, I'm trained in how to use a goniometer. Like, I'm trained in how to do special tests to figure out which muscles don't work. Um, I don't need, like, a different apparatus to tell me that. Uh, So, like, I would rather set somebody down at a table, get joint angles, piece everything together, see how it works. Uh, I I mean, somebody, uh, an app telling me that somebody has tight ankles, great. Why do they have tight ankles? Like, what's their injury history? Let's go backwards. Let me watch them run. Like, is it... They actually have tight ankles, or is it maybe it's a big toe mobility issue? Do they have poor arches? Like, let's go down the rabbit hole of trying to figure out what's wrong versus just telling somebody what is wrong. And to that point right there, I think it's also important to note, and again, this is your area of strength, but from the people I've listened to and kind of realized, and um, to a, to a sense, I, I do feel pretty confident of, you know, knowing and saying this because I've seen people try to, um, take this the wrong way. But when someone, when you test someone, especially like a baseball player, for example, like they're, they're built a certain way. So you do, you get one of those devices and it says, you know, you have extremely tight, I don't know, internal rotation, like with your front hip or back hip or thoracic rotation, like whatever it may be, um, it may not necessarily be the best idea to try to make to try to like obsess over flexibility to try to make it better because in a sense that could be the reason why you are having success and that's a great point now um what do you got on that so everybody i literally just had this conversation with a parent yesterday um because everybody wants their numbers fully explained to them uh, after an assessment and some people have uh I think a great analogy for this is if we just look at the elbow and a pitcher, right? So um, you could have a pitcher come into you and they have a perfectly straight elbow, right? Uh, I know you guys can't see it, but I'm, I'm making my elbow straight. Um, you have some pitchers that come in that have hyper mobility there, right? They have more than 180 degrees. Uh, and you have some that come to you that have negative. They might have minus 10, 20, right? That's their set point they're coming to you at. If they're already having success at that point, why change it? If, if there's other parts of the body where you feel you can make changes to enhance velocity or something, um, go there first. Because uh, I know, I, I, I want to say, and I'm sorry if I'm getting the name wrong, um, 
Sue Falcone, who was the athletic trainer, I believe, with the Athletic Dodgers, um, when I heard her talk, mentioned that with the elbow, she had gone in and tried to recorrect and get everybody back to 180 or, or a straight point in the elbow. And what happened is the pitchers couldn't throw strikes mm. because their natural set points were that they had negative 20 degrees of elbow uh, extension um, or they were maybe positive 5 degrees. They went past 180. So everybody has a different set point. Everybody has a different body structure. Um, just like we'll have kids uh, come in here um, and we'll evaluate them and the, uh, immediately like, yeah, I've been told multiple times I have poor scap function. Okay, well, let's let's look at this. Okay, well, guess what? If I can't tell you how many kids I have in here that have poor scap function where they have a flat thoracic spine. Mm. Okay, well, guess what? The scap is a slightly concave bone in nature. So it needs to set on a concave, like a slightly rounded structure to properly function with muscles, right? So if I have a flatter thoracic spine or a, in some cases, very flat thoracic spine, right? You're asking a concave bone to move on a flat surface. Is that going to move properly? No. But if they go to the doctor or a trainer and they just tell them, well, your scaps are bad, right? Well, we're not looking at the whole picture here. Why are their scaps bad? Um, is their scap actually weak or is it not functioning well with the other muscles that are supposed to move it synergistically along the rib cage? Um, or is it just a byproduct of, hey, their scaps are actually strong. They just need help in their throwing motion. They should maybe change a few things in a throwing motion because they have a flatter thoracic spine. Or, um, yeah, you just got to look beyond the bigger picture. And that's one of the great things I learned from being around the doctors up at St. Vincent was none of them were operative. So if you needed an operation orthopedically, we sent you somewhere else. And so they always try to figure it out first. Holistically, without, yeah. yeah, yeah. So let's 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 figure out the issue is here without making a medical intervention, um, and that's the kind of approach we like to take to it. It's like, okay, my elbow hurts. Why? Uh, chances are you're doing something mechanically wrong, or there's something holding you back besides your elbow, right? We all know that every time I throw a baseball, I should tear my UCL. Like it's only graded for like 33 newton meters. Every time yeah. I throw a baseball, it's 100. Like every time I throw a baseball, I should tear my UCL. So how do we take less stress off the UCL, right? How do we take less stress off the shoulder? Um, how can we put ourselves in better positions when we're hitting, right? All that comes from body movement. And it could be the smallest thing like we were talking earlier. It could be big toe hyperextension, right? I could be limited there. I've seen that script somebody's entire running game. And they go from being super slow to a fast person now because they can toe off differently. Um, and it's just looking beyond where you think you need to. What about uh, kind of going into a little bit now, going into the, the grip strength? I know you mentioned that a couple times mm -hmm. um, when you were speaking there, that you were, you, you've just started uh, kind of testing and going over um, and trying to find a correlation between grip strength and pitchers, um, elbows, and things of that nature. What have you found? What do you think you're going to find? I think we're going to find – uh, my hypothesis, to be scientific, yeah. is I believe we're going to find those athletes that are getting more of the flexor mass strains, UCL issues, are going to have um, higher fatigue rates in grip strength, meaning I've already kind of seen my guys who are coming off of flexor mass strains, UCL issues, uh, they cannot produce the same force repeatedly. Um, so the way we're testing it is we'll go 
standing, uh, arm down by the side. We go right arm, left arm, right arm, left arm, and we get three trials each side. Um, the guys who have had forearm issues are unable to repeat the same number. We see a high fatigue. Uh, so they'll drop uh, at least 20 pounds of force and over the amount of three grips, which are not done simultaneously. So like I was saying, we're switching arms every single time. Um, I think the kids who have higher velocities and can hit the ball further are going to have grip strengths of 120 and above. And I think, but I mean, everything goes out the window every once in a while, right? So like, yeah, there's, there's the outliers. Like I had a kid come back from the Cape, told me hit 97. I immediately, I was like, okay, we need to get you on the table. I want to see what you're doing, like how your body's functioning now compared to uh, your last evaluation you did with us. So immediately my first reaction is, let's get you on the table. Let's see what's going on. Uh, grip strength was 67. So wow. it's like sometimes you have head scratchers where you're like, okay, well, that didn't But, but could that mean, though, that he's at uh, just a huge like increase for injury, though? Possibly. You could also say, okay, he just drove in a car 15 hours, mm. and he's in a huge state of fatigue, which – if we want to look at fatigue, what we do every single day, our athletes are in here with us, we've always done a vertical jump. The kids think it's for a PR and to see how high they can jump every time. Honestly, we're just looking to see what their readiness state is from a central nervous system perspective. Um, if we see a drop of more than 10% in their vertical jump, we cut back volume and intensity on their lift for the day. Um, what we started doing with the baseball guys specifically, they do a grip test every single day. Every day. Uh, every day. When they get in here, it's at the top of their sheet. They have to record it so we can see it. Um, what we do now, so we have the jump score with the grip strength. Um, every day their jump score has been down, their grip strength has been down at least uh, 15 pounds of force. And we're actually seeing a higher drop in the grip strength than I would have expected uh, on the days where their jump scores are down or sometimes we'll see a higher drop in the in the grip strength compared to a drop in their vertical jump so vertical jump may seem stagnant or the same um, but fatigue through grip strength is down much more so we're actually seeing a higher correlation in fatigue and grip strength from a central nervous system perspective than an actual than the vertical jump test so that that's been kind of an interesting find for us so how would you go about increasing grip strength? Multitude, there's many ways. Um, we do a lot of pronation, supination, a lot of uh, wrist flexion and extension exercises. Um, I just love, wrist curls? Yeah. Um, just hanging the arm off a table. Um, so just like kind of isolating that movement pattern. Uh, we'll do that with the pitchers. Love farmer's carries, uh, single arm farmer's carries. Um, love loading up a trap bar. Uh, we have the fat grips, so love putting those on there. Um, we have these uh, interesting grip things called grenade grips. So if we want to tax more of the actual fingers, we'll put those on. It's more of a round ball uh, rather than a fat grip. Um, and then uh, we'll do a lot of um, – we also do a lot of kind of like finger extension movements with the guys. Um, like one of the favorite ones for most of the kids in here is we'll tie a kettlebell – uh, with a um, like a resistance band onto the barbell and everybody's done the forearm exercise where you're kind of rolling the weight up with like the white PVC pipe yeah, yep it's kind of a take on that but the band uh, the band that we use kind of oscillates the kettlebell as you're rolling it up 
so it makes it harder to roll up and then they have to eccentrically lower it down so they'll get good flexion and extension wrist wise out of that um, and then they really like just finger flicks so we'll go hands down flick the fingers for 30 seconds then we go shoulder height for 30 seconds then we go up over the head for 30 seconds um, and then the pro guys this last year added in uh, you have to go over to the wall and now you do kind of um, finger waves with your hands over your head on the wall just to fatigue it out so typically the kids really like to pair those two together um, and that's probably one of our favorite forearm finishers um, but yeah we do a lot of farmers carries I would say that's probably our biggest go-to because um, we're not only working on grip strength but at the same time I'm getting kind of full body right I'm having to use my core I'm having to use everything um, anytime I can use more muscle groups I can get a higher production of testosterone out of the athlete so yeah and uh, the re one of the reasons I brought that up is a first off I, I have been seeing a lot online lately about you know it's kind of a worrying about grip strength doing you know wrist curls things of that you know very overrated and I actually had lunch I, I put this out on social media but I actually had lunch with um, uh, George Foster George Foster last week and one of the things we got into talking about was grip strength. Now, he's obviously, um, you know, old school. I mean, but you can't argue with the numbers he put up, you know, being a former NL MVP, playing 18 years in the big leagues. And he was uh, was very, very adamant about, like, just gripping tennis balls. He said what he used to do in the clubhouse, him and Carefree Sr., was they would take newspapers and, like, cling them up, like, with their fingers and, like, do the exact same. Which, I, I mean, I get people might say that. And it's like that sounds kind of like just just corny or whatnot. But the fact of the matter is you can't argue sometimes with results. And then I also um, was talking to one of my buddies, uh, Brian Eisenberg, who went to a um, AAA game and saw Tim Dillard, who's a social media uh, star, and he's pitched in the minors. I think this one said his 15th or 16th year pitching in the minor leagues and not all not all together but I, I think in professional baseball I know he's played in the big leagues a little bit too and he uses those uh, that TheraBand um, squishy ball or whatnot and swears by it and he goes everyone's obsessed all this new stuff everything like I just take this this TheraBand like squeeze ball everywhere and just squeeze it all day long and he's never had any arm issues yeah so I mean I guess I will never I mean will we ever know for sure I don't know I think by the time we know we'll be half of us will move on to the next thing right um instead of like we were talking about earlier instead of taking the time to try to understand it you just kind of like oh, i know that I'll, I'll move on to the next thing mm -hmm. um and uh to your point like i remember in uh, high school like trying to take phone books and rip them in half like yeah like that always gave me a good forearm burn like right. you look talking right. about some of the old school stuff like yeah, if it works, it works. Right? right. There's no, there's no reason to reinvent the wheel. Sometimes. Um, what do you, th what do you think about individualized programming? How do you do that here? So, ours is done um, with a few different things in mind. Like every athlete starts with an assessment. Like the assessment is, we'll use uh, functional movement screen, um, which is highly modified because. Uh, I, it doesn't tell me everything I need to know at this point. I'm not going to waste time on numbers that don't mean anything to me. Mm -hmm. um, so we've added a lot into that. Uh, we'll look at hip, internal, external rotation. We'll do 
Uh, we'll do a Thomas test on guys to look for if it's a quad issue, if it's a psoas issue, or if it's a hip flexor tightness issue. Uh, we'll do glute, glute med strength testing. Um, we have uh, glute firing tests that we'll use uh, to see when an athlete goes through hip extension. Are they using low back? Are they using glutes? Are they using hamstring? What fires first? Um, we might need to take them through re-education on that part. Um, we'll do a full, uh, what basically amounts to like an orthopedic assessment, almost. On the table? On the table. Um, like I said, I'm not a doctor. I'm a, I'm, I just have a little bit of knowledge of athletic training, and I got to spend time underneath some really, really smart doctors and, and physical therapists in Indy, and I just picked their brains all day long. Um, so, I mean, we'll do a full kind of rotator cuff uh, measurement test, and we'll do full shorter, uh, shorter range of motions on everybody. Um, and then with our pitchers, we'll have them actually take their shirts off, and I want to look at scapular movement on their on their back as they're kind of taking their arms up through shoulder flexion. We'll do that at 45 degrees, and then we'll also do that out to the side. Um, in my opinion, it's not a full assessment unless you're looking at that. Um, as long as the guy's cool with taking a shirt off, like I, if there's a large group out there, I ask him, like, are you cool with taking a shirt off real quick so we can see this? Um, and you'll see a multitude of things that if you left the shirt on, you would not have seen. Hmm. Um, so that's, in my opinion, is key to do that. Um, after that, our, our guys that return year after year, uh, we started using a diameter to measure pounds of force on the rotator cuff testing. Um, once again, something new that we're just playing with. I, I, I know it now. I don't understand it yet. Still playing with it. Cause I think that is going to be key to seeing, um, how much force you can produce with each. Cause one of the big things I always get asked with the parents is, Hey, is your cuff stronger? I, I can do a quick, like, I hold. Okay. Yeah. It feels strong. Yeah. Right. But in, instead now being able to go up to the like, yeah, well they've gained three pounds of force, you know? So it's one of those things like I saw a need for it, um, from a kind of business clientele perspective. And now we'll see where the science takes us from kind of a return to sport and injury prevention standpoint. Um, and I think the last piece for us is getting all of the power assessment. So looking at vertical jump, broad jump, uh, we do the lateral jump test, um, which correlates the velocity. There was a research study that came out, oh, it was a while ago now, that correlated that test of pitching velocity. Um, most of the time, that's the biggest eye-opener out of all of them uh, for the players when they go do that one. Uh, what we've kind of seen um, number-wise, like you talk correlations, like you put all the data on a spreadsheet and then you just look across uh, so we've had some pitching coaches give us velocities and the kids give us their velocities and we put all that into a spreadsheet. Um, we've seen most of our guys who can throw 90 can broad jump over eight feet. Um, uh, they also have a lateral broad jump on their drive leg of at least six feet. Uh, and then they typically have a vertical jump of 28 inches or above. Oh, that's interesting. So um, when I'm talking with a kid, it's typically, okay, well, here's how deficient you are in these markers. Um, but you're already throwing 89, so congratulations. Um, you've had, you could trend well. And I always tell the kids, if you are hitting all those markers, then you probably need to go find yourself a good pitching coach because something mechanically isn't working right. Um, so that's kind of a power output standpoint, looking at that. So that kind of gives us all the data that we need, and then we'll talk to the kids, figure out which positions they play, and there's always different positional needs, right? Um, and then we take all those data points and, uh, one of us will sit down at our computer 
uh, depending on how many days a week they're coming in, we'll write the full split up. So typically a kid will show up for a session here 15, 20 minutes early, start on all their corrective exercises, their arm care piece. Uh, some of the pitchers were starting to do like med ball velocity work and uh, the like plyo care stuff with mm-hmm. them if they're ready for it. Um, and then they'll roll into the group warm up. We'll do some speed and agility. I, I give my POs the choice of if they're going to do speed and agility for the day. I will make them do linear straight ahead speed. Um, I look at it from an injury risk perspective. Like I don't need my pitchers trying to change directions. That's yeah. just yeah. I'm I'm here to get you better, not get you hurt. Um, I think. Uh, after that, then they'll come over and they'll grab their uh, workout sheets again, and then we'll walk them through their workout. What about um, one of the things that um, I hear a lot is like deload. Mm-hmm. What kind of explain the purpose of it, how it helps, how often you should do it? Uh, deload. So there's multiple different ways uh, we could talk about deload. Uh, if if I'm in the private setting like I am right now, um, I don't have to worry about deloading athlete as much because chances are he's going to go out of town, have a tournament, get sick, or just not show up for a few days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so he's going to deload himself. So I can <laughs> I can program a deload, uh, but what happens is at the end of the day, they're a paying client, right? So um, they don't like to come in and do pay to do a deload week, right? Yeah. Um, so we have to get really fancy with it. If they are an athlete that's in here – and they're going to be consistent, and they need a deload week, uh, then we'll program that in. All that really means is every really three to four weeks, we're programming in a week where our intensity and volume is lower. Um, And then typically what that will do is kind of reset the nervous system so uh, we uh, we can start to move forward from our residuals. Uh, So if I do three weeks of strength work, maximal strength, it's going to take me about three weeks to recover from that maximal strength lift if we're looking at it from a residual standpoint. Um, And that's kind of the big reason why our older kids, we do more of a block or conjugate style sequencing with them. Um, So uh, we're we're in the method of we crockpot cook our athletes. We don't microwave cook our athletes. Um, I like that. So, like, our young athletes that come to us, they may be stuck in a general prep phase for shit for years. Yeah. Um, <laughs> until you prove to me that your body is ready to move forward. Um, so we'll actually start most of our young kids now on, like, a Michael Yes is 1 by 20 program. So what that is is they go through 20 exercises a day. Um, they're all our big, like, A-lift exercises, big movement patterns that we want them to learn. Um, so they do one set of 20 reps on each of those exercises. Second week, one set, 20, 20 reps. Third week, one set, 20 reps. Guess what? You can look at their sheet and be like, why haven't you gone up in weight yet? You're still doing 10 pounds. Uh, and then after that, we go another two weeks at one by 14. And then we go another two weeks at one by seven. So you, they can kind of see gradual increase in weights. If I don't see a gradual increase and I feel like you're not owning those movement patterns enough. We'll rinse and recycle. We'll do it again. Um, and that works pretty well is what we found. And then from there, um, we'll go into kind of a gen prep phase with them. So like three by 10, um, general prep, uh, hypertrophy type work. Um, and then as the kid progresses through our program, we'll break it down. Uh, we're big in the triphasic, 
So we'll do eccentric isometric lifts. Um, and then with the block sequencing, the, what we like about it is we don't really have to deload the athlete because um, the way we sequence our blocks together, we'll just move out of that training phase. So we'll go from like a strength cycle to a speed cycle. And the speed cycle is different than the stimulus I'm putting on that athlete through strength, right? So because I'm out of strength for the two to three weeks that I was just in it, now what happens is I've kind of deloaded myself from that specific adaptation, which is where having the Tindo units and bar speed velocity right. measurements yeah. come in because if I'm not training at that certain adaptation window with the speed of which I'm lifting, then I'm missing the whole boat on the whole thing. But it takes a higher level athlete, which I think it's kind of it's comical because I uh, we we've heard from some of our athletes that the rumor on the street is at Pro Force you don't lift heavy. Mm. So we went on a big. We're like, okay, well, we'll we're gonna post every video of every athlete kind of lifting heavy this year it, it, yeah. over the summer. And I had a parent text me. They're like, I'm going a little heavy on the he- we lift heavy at Pro Force, aren't you? No pun intended. Um, and I thought that was hysterical because <laughs> so I was like, yeah, we are. Cause it, apparently there's this misconception that we don't lift weights here. Cause we only do functional style lifts. Um, we do more arm care stuff. We do more corrective base stuff. Um, but the truth of the matter is it's holistic and until you're ready to lift heavy, you're not going to lift heavy. Right. Cause yeah. we mentioned that long-term athlete development model in, um, that kind of, it's a crockpot mentality where, I'm not going to load an athlete if they're not ready to be loaded. That's just, that's a disservice to that athlete, right? I may get some quick microwave results, but they're not going to last because the dude's going to break down. So as much as testosterone wants to try to come into play here and we want to lift heavy weights, um, a lot of people just aren't ready for it. I'm definitely, first of all, I'm definitely going to steal the crockpot microwave uh, uh, saying right there. I'm going to, I'll apply that to hitting somehow. (laughs) Um, Okay. So I'm uh, that was great stuff, by the way. Great information there. I want to um, last topic I want to talk to you about actually a little bit different from just typical, you know, weights things, things of that nature. But how do you motivate or kind of talk into, or I guess like, yeah, I guess motivate. How do you motivate um, uh, an athlete who's maybe not working very hard? Because I'm sure you know as well as I do, not every not every player that comes in here. Um, is obsessed with getting better. That's where, for us, the evaluation is key. Mm. If I know um, one of the biggest things people say they love about us is kind of the culture, um, the family atmosphere that we put forth, kind of uh, you're not a member here, you're not a client, you're part of my family. Yeah. Um, And... I think that all starts at the valuation. Like if I find out in the valuation you're not going to be a good fit and you're strictly here because mommy and daddy told you to be here, then I'll just tell mommy and daddy that you're not ready to be here. Because, and I've told parents this, like uh, you're paying good money for Johnny to be here. So I don't want to, I'm not here to take your money. Like I have another kid who wants to be in the program who will gladly pay this and work his tail off. Um, and there's some kids who uh, kind of snake in sometimes where you go through the eval, you can tell they're on the fence, like daddy's kind of making them do it. Um, but once they tend to see the correlation for themselves and how much better they've become, uh, that's, that's when you get buy-in immediately. So like we had one kid 
about a year ago who you, you could just tell like this dude hated being here every minute of it <laughs> um and he comes in one day smiling ear to ear i'm like dude you've never walked through those doors smiling before what's up he's like i hit my first ever double and it's because of here i was like huh we're bought in now okay good um, and I mean, some of the kids, you just got to take them aside and you just got to have that honest conversation say, Hey, look, do you realize how much your mom and dad are actually paying for you to be here? What they're putting on the line for you to be here? Like I would have died to have had this growing up and this opportunity, but, uh, and sometimes they get it. Sometimes they don't. And sometimes you just got to kind of push them to a limit. They didn't think they were able to do. And then they do get that by them. So like for a lot of the middle schoolers, like we're not like I said, we're gonna crock pot them. We're not gonna have them lift heavy, but we'll let them push a prowler really heavy. They can push what they can push, right? That's not gonna hurt their spine or anything like yeah. that. Um, so it's like for the middle schoolers, once they can kind of push three hundred pounds on the prowler, they're like, oh man, this is awesome. like I just pushed three hundred, and the parents are over here with videotaping the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, I think it's just showing them what they can do and helping them become more confident. And once they install that confidence in themselves and they kind of realize where they got it from, um, like uh, Cressy's business partner tweeted out the other day, um, Pete, I, I can never say his name right yeah, now. Yeah, I know you're talking about Pete DeBose. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not sure if I didn't want to butcher it, it yeah. but um, he tweeted out, like, we've been masquerading this whole time as a leadership camp where we just lift weights. Yeah, I think it was something like that, and that really struck home with me. I'm like, yeah, that's that sums it up about right. Yep. So, it's more about just helping people get more confident, and then once they have that confidence, right, they can kind of they have that swag at the plate, they have that swag on the mound, um, they know they can run faster now. Instead of, uh, in there's a great book called Inside Out Coaching by uh, Joe Ehrman, I think. Um, that was a game changer for me when I read that one because you don't know going back to kind of getting buy-in like everybody thinks differently right like you go back to the book love languages and stuff like that like everybody speaks a different language and how they want to be talked to and when a kid walks through those doors you don't know what happened to him outside of your world so the hour and a half you have with him make it as special as possible make it uh as much about him as you possibly can because you don't know if when he goes home what mom and dad are saying to him, what his home life's like, what's happened to him traumatically, what it's like. I mean, nowadays, like, if you and I were getting bullied in school, like, we just went home, right? Yeah. Now it's like I go home and I get berated on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Like, I can't get away from this. Um, or shit, I might even fire up my Xbox and, and still get berated on there. Like, so I can't run away, right? So how can I make it so even if you're not a confident individual and you are that person that when you're here at Proforce, right, this is the highlight of your day. This is the highlight of your week. And we hear that a lot. Like, this is where they want to be. This is what they want to come to. And it's that family mentality of, like, do you know what their life is like outside of here? Because mm. we don't. Yeah. And I think the more you can do that, the more you can get to know somebody individually, um, the more you're going to help them out and kind of get that buy-in. Gotcha. Awesome, awesome stuff. Kevin, really appreciate your time, man. It was great stuff. No, oh, no, appreciate it, Patrick. Anytime.